Hey y'all, Eves here. Today's episode contains not just one, but two nuggets of history. Consider it a double feature. Enjoy the show. Hi, I'm Eves, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that uncovers history one day at a time. The day was March 4th, 1936. At about three in the afternoon, a German passenger airship called the Hindenburg set off on its first test flight, carrying more than 80 crew members and passengers. The Hindenburg was a Zeppelin, or a cylindrical rigid airship that contains internal gas cells. At the time, ships were slow, and passenger airplanes weren't advanced enough to carry people across the ocean efficiently. So it seemed like airships were going to be the future of long-distance travel. They were relatively fast and provided passengers with a modicum of comfort. But even though the Hindenburg traveled more than 200,000 miles during its lifetime, the tragic disaster that ended the story of the Hindenburg also brought the era of airships to a close. The Zeppelin company started building the Hindenburg officially known as the LZ-129 Hindenburg, in Germany in 1931. By 1935, construction was complete, and the airship was huge. In fact, it and its counterpart, the LZ-130, are the largest airships ever, at over 803 feet, or 245 meters, and nearly 214 metric tons, or 236 U.S. tons. The Hindenburg had four diesel engines, and it was filled with 7 million cubic feet of hydrogen gas. And the airship's frame was made of duralumin, which is an alloy of aluminum, copper, and other metals. German architect Fritz August Breihaus de Groot designed its interior. In the Hindenburg were an upper deck and a lower deck. On the upper deck were the cramped passenger rooms that contained the most basic of amenities, like bunks and a wash basin. The public rooms, though, were a lot more impressive than the passengers' quarters. There was a writing room, a lounge with a piano, and a dining room with a long slanted window running along the deck. Cruise quarters, a mess hall, washrooms, and a smoking lounge were located on the lower deck of the airship. But even though the Hindenburg had a rather cozy interior, there was a lurking problem. Hydrogen is highly flammable, and the airship was coated in thermite, which is also flammable at high temperatures. But helium is not flammable, making it the safer choice for passenger air travel. So the plan was to employ helium as the lifting gas for the airship. But helium was not easy to acquire in Germany, and it was expensive, and reduce the potential payload of the airship. The U.S. had large quantities of helium, but there was a ban on exporting the gas. So the Germans returned to hydrogen. Hydrogen was cheaper and readily available, and it was the best lighter-than-air gas that could give them the most bang for their buck. Besides, they had used hydrogen in airships plenty of times before without a problem. So hydrogen it was. And on March 4, 1936, the Hindenburg was ready to make its debut. The Hindenburg, 
which was named after the field marshal and German commander who had appointed Hitler Chancellor of Germany, was a vessel for Nazi propaganda. The name Hindenburg had not been added to the side of the airship yet, but it had already been chosen for the dirigible. And it already had swastikas painted on its tail fins. The flight had been scheduled for the morning, but it was postponed until the afternoon due to weather. So around 3 p.m., the Hindenburg took its first test flight, a three-hour and six-minute trip over Lake Constance and the city of Friedrichshafen, Germany. Over the next few weeks, the Hindenburg went on more test flights, and it left for its first commercial passenger flight on March 31st when it traveled from Germany to Rio de Janeiro. Over the next year, the Hindenburg took many more propagandistic and demonstrative flights from Germany to North America, South America, and Europe. More passenger cabins were added, and other changes were made to the airship's structure. Passengers were typically wealthy, as tickets for flights were not cheap. By its last trip, the Hindenburg had taken many successful flights carrying passengers, mail, and other cargo. But on May 6th, when the airship arrived in Lakehurst, New Jersey, after being held up by thunderstorms for hours, the Hindenburg caught fire. It only took 34 seconds for the whole airship to burn. 36 people died. Even though many people survived the Hindenburg disaster, the fire was the last straw after a series of devastating airship incidents. The fire and the resulting media storm effectively ended Zeppelin's short but heady time in the limelight. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you'd like to learn more about the Hindenburg, listen to the episode of Stuff You Missed in History Class called The Hindenburg Disaster. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at T-D-I-H-C podcast. Thanks for showing up. We'll meet here again tomorrow. Hi, everyone. I'm Eves. Welcome to This Day in History class, a show that will convince you that history can be fascinating even when you expect it not to be. The day was March 4th, 1932. Singer, actor, and activist Miriam Makeba was born in Johannesburg, South Africa. Makeba's mother was a domestic worker and a practitioner of herbal medicine. When Makeba was just an infant, her mother was imprisoned for illegally brewing beer, and Makeba spent the first months of her life in jail with her mother. Makeba's father was a teacher, though he died when she was just a child. After he died, Makeba went to live with her grandmother in Pretoria for a while. Makeba also spent time doing domestic work to help the family make money. Miriam had a love for singing from a young age. She sang in a choir at her school, and she sang in church choirs. And she spoke and sang in several languages. 
By the 1950s, Makeba had begun her professional musical career. She began singing with a band called the Cuban Brothers and started getting attention on the club circuit. But she picked up a lot more attention when she joined the Manhattan Brothers, a popular South African singing group. She toured with them from 1954 to 1957. After that, Makeba began singing for an all-woman group called the Sunbeams, who were later known as the Skylarks. By the late 1950s, Makeba was well-known across South Africa. She had a singing role in the film Come Back Africa, an anti-apartheid movie that was released in 1959. She was also the lead in Todd Machikiza's 1959 film King Kong, which really kicked off her international career. After the film showed at the Venice Film Festival, Makeba went to London, where she met entertainer and activist Harry Belafonte. Her singing attracted the interest of other American performers, too, and by 1959, she settled in the U.S. Makeba began performing in New York City clubs and got a guest spot on The Steve Allen Show, an American variety show. But she wasn't only involved in music. She was also vocal about her opposition to apartheid, a topic that she explored in her songs. In 1960, South Africa denied her re-entry into the country, and she lived in exile for the next three decades. In 1963, the South African government banned her songs and revoked her passport. The next year, Makeba married her King Kong co-star Hugh Masakela. Though they divorced a couple of years later, they continued to work together professionally. Throughout the early 1960s, she also had to deal with difficulties due to cervical cancer. In 1968, Makeba married American activist Stokely Carmichael. Her affiliation with him affected her musical career, as many of her shows were canceled. When her record label wouldn't honor her contract in the U.S., she moved to Guinea with Carmichael. The couple divorced in the late 1970s, but she continued performing in Europe and Africa, speaking on social themes like freedom and social change. She performed in South Africa in 1991 for the first time since her exile. Makeba died of a heart attack in 2008. She had one child, Bongi Makeba, who died in 1985. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you've seen any good history memes lately, you can send them to us on social media at T-D-I-H-C podcast. If email's your thing, send us a note at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.